Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome into Ball Movement, the show that takes you around the basketball world. Today we are joined by Sean McCaw. Sean started his college career at Arizona before transferring to Southern Utah. He wound up playing overseas for 13 years and liked it so much that he decided to stay, becoming a naturalized Austrian citizen. He also coached overseas and wrote a book about what he learned called Same Name, Different Game, Your Guide for a Successful European Rookie Season. But before we get to our convo with Sean, let's hear from our sponsor, Bet Online. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. For all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next coach fired is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE to get started. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games. BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, let's get to our conversation with Sean. Welcome to another episode of Ball Movement. Again, uh, Mike and I will be doing another interview here with a, a former international hooper as well. We've got Sean McCall with us. Sean recently wrote the book, Same Name, Different Game, Your Guide to a Successful European Rookie Season. Sean, you played a decade plus internationally and, and you're still living overseas. Obviously, you played big time ball here in the U.S. too. So I want to just talk to you about your experiences overseas and, and what guys can learn from you and take away on, you know, kind of their portion of their journey too. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, so I played for a total of 13 years in six different countries in Europe. I am also a neutralized Austrian citizen. I gave up my, my American citizenship back in 2000 so that I could play on European teams as a European and not as an American to take away an American spot, which of course was good monetarily as well. But I've, I've planned to live out here since probably my second year overseas, like in 96, um, it was my second year. So um, yeah, and, and now I, I wrote this book based on my, my experiences because I wanted to give something back to the game that gave me <laughs> way more than I could ever give back. And I wanted to be able to help some guys and girls who wanted to come overseas and play because I realized that I didn't have a mentor. And a lot of guys don't have mentors. A lot of women, they don't have mentors when they come over here. So I wanted to give them something in their hand that they could say, okay, this guy wrote a book. Um, maybe it can help me and get me through my, especially my first year. But it's not only for first year guys, it's also for for vets as well, because there's a lot of things in here that you can look back on as you as your career goes on that might help you even when you're seven, eight years in. So that's really the the story behind me wanting to write the book. And yeah, and I'm I'm retired from playing, from coaching. I'm 48 now. I'm um, an educator at a private English speaking school here in, in Braunschweig, Germany, where I live. 
And yeah, and I'm just happy to be here. Talk to you guys. Mike, did any of that sound familiar to you? hundred <laughs> percent. You know, you know, like we talked about yesterday on episode one of the podcast. Um, that's how I got started with Vindicated Sports. You know, I was just looking back on my career and I realized there was nobody giving me guidance. The, the older guys that I was around that had been overseas for 15 years, 12 years, you know, these guys are notable names. I told Matt yesterday, I'm not going to say any names because these names are really well known now. And these guys didn't give me the game at all. So I made a promise that if I was ever in that position, you know, I would give, I would open up that door to them and give them as much knowledge and advice as I can. And so, you know, for, for me to hear that, Sean, is very rewarding and very encouraging to know that there are other people in this space that are trying to do the same thing, that are doing the same thing. Because we, there's not enough of us, you know, helping these younger guys come up because they don't know what to expect. And a lot of players, they stop playing because they don't know, what the, one, what this process is like. And then, you know, how, how successful and lucrative it can be monetarily as well as just life experience self-development you know life experiences you become more open-minded but i'm sure we're going to get into that as you continue to talk about your journey um through the international basketball space yeah mike i mean what you say is is spot on and there is a, a very small minority of people that are starting to try to build community within the athletes um we evolve as a as a as a I know Joy. I know Joy really well. You know Joy. Yeah, I know. Her. I mean, what she yeah. does is great, and and I'm a big fan of hers. And so there's a small rising community of people that are trying to help out. But of course, you run into the roadblocks because a lot of a lot of players are out for their own. They're looking yeah. for their check, their next check, mm-hmm. their next contract. They're focused on them. Um, and you just hope that through the years, they, as as these guys and girls get older, that they realize that they need to give back. And exactly. like I said, that was that was my main motivation. I have a I have a great job that I love a whole mm-hmm. lot working with kids. And this book is for me, um, maybe like a, a life thing. It's something that just to give back and and I'm not dependent on the book to sell. Not at yeah. all. And a lot and, of and, and I, I read over me. your book. Yeah, I read over your book. I was reading it, and a lot of times people might see the concept as redundant, but it's it's, it's really tacking it from two different angles. Mine is very, very technical. It's about like step-by-step, step, how to talk to agents, mm-hmm. how to organize your game film. Because for me, my audience, and I'm targeting all those guys that don't have the resources to have the school doing the highlight film for them, to have agents yeah. knocking down their door. Those tens of thousands of guys that you and I both know that are just training, training, have ability, but they don't have the resume. So right. that, that's all. that's been my target audience from day one. But then your book is, is really good because it kind of breaks down like once you're over there, you know, what to expect, like your contracts, your your agents, how that whole process works. So I enjoyed um, looking that over. Thanks. The thing is, is I'm also kind of targeting those guys that are not making the 100,000, the 200,000, 300,000, because those guys, honestly, those EuroLeague guys, they've got people yeah, behind take care them. Of themselves. They've got, exactly. They've got, they've got a whole team of people behind them. But the guys that are making 200 a, a, a month in England, yeah. You know, nobody, nobody's, nobody's there for them and they, they have no idea what to expect. And that's, that's really important that those guys and girls really find this information from, and it doesn't, for me, it doesn't matter if it's from me, from you, whoever, but they need, they need to find information and have it readily available. And that's the biggest key. hundred percent. We want this podcast to be an additional resource for people. So I think that that we can have both you guys here together uh, is great for folks and it gives them somewhere to go look 
and I think both of you guys have talked about, you know, the information that was available to you at, you know, the given times in, in your career. And, and Sean, you had a very interesting kind of path and, and journey overseas. You started Arizona, you know, recruited by Lute Olson, ended up kind of working your way to a smaller school at Southern Utah and had a very good college career. But can you tell us a little bit about that process? I know you were right around one of the lockouts and, and how that played into things. Yeah, I mean, when I came out of high school, I was pretty highly recruited, and and I ended up going to the University of Arizona with Coach Olson, rest in peace. And I didn't like it there. I, I it wasn't the school for me. And after being unceremoniously kicked off the team halfway through the season, um, I went to a junior college after that, and then I went back through the whole recruiting process and and getting hit hard again from the schools that were interested in me. Uh, just a year before, a year and a half before, and then I realized um, I didn't want to. I didn't want to waste another two years. I had two years left, and if I went to another big college, then who knows? Maybe I get lost in the shuffle. So I ended up going with Southern Utah, who actually never even recruited me because they thought I was too big for them. And I so just did you I, call I, them, or how, how did how did that work? No, they no actually no. Okay, no, I did. I did call them. <laughs> I spontaneously asked the coach, his name is Bill Evans. He was at a spring football game. And because I wanted to stay after the spring football game, I asked him if I could take an official visit. I had one visit left over. And um, I said, okay, if you can get me a hotel room, then I'll take an official visit. His jaw dropped. And um, and yeah, to make a long story short, I ended up signing on the, on the dotted line. I signed my letter of intent that weekend. I didn't go on any of my other trips that I had left, and I just liked the overall atmosphere and what Coach Coach um, Evans had to say to me. And as far as the the remaining remaining two years, which was kind of crazy because he didn't plan with me, so this was all off the fly for him as well. But but he did a good job and and really convinced me that this was the place for me. Smaller D one, but at the time we were independent, we weren't even in a conference. And then the next year we went to the now defunct American West conference where we won the, the, the regular season championship and the conference championship. Yeah. And then when my time was over at Southern Utah, it was 1995 first lockout of the NBA ever. And so that didn't play into my hands. I, I was honest enough with myself to know that I wasn't going to get drafted, but I had gotten some looks from NBA scouts. My coach was very aware that, that there were some teams that might bring me in as a free agent uh, for a tryout, especially um, the, the Jazz, um, because I was going to play with them on their summer league team, the Rocky Mountain Review. But of course, lockout goes down, everything shut down, no summer leagues, nothing. So I ended up, um, my agent at the time was an Italian guy, and he was trying to get me over in Italy. Great contract. I saw the contract, signed it, but the president didn't sign it because they wanted to see if they could maybe possibly get an NBA guy, which makes sense rather than an unproven college guy. So they were, they were stalling for time and I am an impatient person, incredibly impatient person. And I called my agent. I was like, look, I just want to go somewhere and play. He says, okay, let's get you to Austria. There's a team that's been calling for weeks and I've been telling them no, but they're in the Korac cup, which was the European cup at that time. And um, you put up good numbers, put up good stats, and then we'll get you to Italy next year. That was the plan. Everything's going according to plan. About a month and a half later, I think we're 11 and one. 
I'm playing excellent in the in the Korach Cup, and I break my leg in a league game, and that of course changed the whole direction of my of my career. Which looking back on it was a blessing in disguise, I would say. But of course, I was devastated at that time. So that's pretty much how I stayed in in Austria so long. And I was lucky. I was really fortunate and lucky that the team offered me a contract for the for the next year. They would pay me that year and offer me the same contract that I had that first year in my second year. I just had to agree to stay and rehab and hopefully be ready by the time the season started the next season. And that's what happened. So, so Sean, um, and I kind of alluded to this in, in episode one, but talk about, you know, why did you, why do you think the team was so inclined to let you stay even after the injury? Like, how did you Good question? Like, yeah. I'm gonna let you answer that. Good question. Well, I was, I have to say, I was balling. I mean, mm-hmm. the plan was, the plan is, according to my agent, was was going, I think I was averaging, I don't know, 26, 27 a game. And um, and I was playing really well. And the team was doing really well. And it was, mm-hmm. it was a situation that was perfect for me. And mm-hmm. so, of course, I was also, I'm also a pretty open guy and, and friendly guy and and I got the crowd involved. I was I was kind of like the crowd favorite as well. I'm running and dunking and and gesturing to the crowd. And mm-hmm. so Austria is not the biggest country for basketball, but I got some excitement going on in, in, in our town. So I think the reason why that they that they offered for the second year was because they knew they had a talent in me. And I was a, a personable guy. And I think that's something that's very overlooked. The guys think it's just about the stats, but it's not. It's also about if you're a good character, if you're a good person. And I think that's the real reason why they decided to keep me because you know, and you know, in contracts, anything longer than two months, they're going to put you right on a, a plane back home after they put the bandaid on you and you'll be taking care of your bills yourself. Exactly. So for me, it was a no-brainer. They came into my my hospital room the next day. I got emergency surgery, like right after the game. Next day, they came in and they told me that. Of course, my agent was involved as well. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was it was a no-brainer. It was go home and pay for my bills myself. I had been there two months, so I wasn't mm-hmm. saving anything. I was making one thousand two hundred dollars, so it's not like I was able to save enough for rehab back home, or I stay and take my chances and see how it goes. And I, that was a no brainer for me. You see, Matt, like what we talked about on episode one, you know, he said similar, same things we talked about, you know, job security and things like that when you're overseas. And a lot, a lot of ways that a player can kind of make themselves a commodity to the team is just not only they have to play well, but just making themselves a personable, you know, outgoing, you know, good character person within the team no and the question. community. You know, it's almost like almost like a gladiator. You win the crowd, then your your teammates in, in the community will fight for you to stay. But if you're yes. balling like you were, and then you break your leg, and but you're a jerk the whole time because you think I'm an American, I'm a cocky, arrogant American, they can't wait to get you out of there, but they're keeping you because you're providing a service for them that they need. Exactly. Yeah. John, you talked in the book about having some patience on that first contract and, and waiting out the Italian situation might have, might have been worthwhile, you know, in retrospect, but a team like that, maybe a little higher up paying a little more is probably also less inclined 
to let you rehab and things like that too. So, I mean, do you, do you see it from that perspective as well? Like, well, well maybe I, I actually got a little lucky here. If I were going to get injured, this was probably the place to do it. Oh yeah. No question. I, that's why I say it was, it was maybe a little bit of a, a blessing in disguise because of, although it changed the, the whole trajectory of my career, I would say it, it was, it was a good thing in a way, of course, nobody wants to break their leg, sure. but I was also forced to come outside my comfort zone. I was I was able to learn a new language because I had a lot of time on my hands. I was able to explore Austria. What we didn't have a whole lot of time to do stuff like that while I was while I was playing. So I saw actually nothing except for gyms. I was able to travel a little bit more. I was I was able to do a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have normally been able to do and it totally changed my focus on what the quality of my life would be or what I expected as the quality of my life. And that's why I say I probably my second year, I decided, okay, this is going to be my home. This, I don't know where, maybe Austria, I thought maybe at the time, but yeah, that was going to be my home. And for me, I've never been about money. So the money that I was making was, was fine for me. And, um, and so for me, it was just a question of where do I feel comfortable? And I felt comfortable there. So why would I want to leave? This is a big thing Mike and I want to get into is just the ability to balance, take the most money up front or find the right fit and, <laughs> and just, you know, what really plays in, into those kind of things. Okay. I, I'm a, I'm a, a European dinosaur, if, if you want to say it like that. I came out in, in 1995. So this is pre-internet era. This okay. is like still the dial-up, dial-tone um, um, internet service. Like there was nothing. There was no Skype. There was no FaceTiming. There was there was literally I was writing letters per hand back home. <laughs> so what I'm what I'm trying to get at is these guys and girls these days have so much information in their grasp if they use it. Mm-hmm. I tell the story all the time. When I was before I came to Austria, I literally had to go to a library and get an encyclopedia to look up anything about Austria. I had no idea. Only knew about Vienna. And these days, the the players, they have so much information at their hands that they can find out a lot about these teams. Why did the Americans leave? Which Americans did they have? Um, Things like that. And you can pretty much piece together also with your agent um, the story behind a club. So do you take more money with more of a risk that you'll be fired or do you take less in 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 a better situation? It's everybody's choice what they decide to do. I would say 99% of the players are going to choose money over everything. Um, but that's their own thing. I was never a big money guy. So for me, it was, it was a question of loyalty and where I felt most comfortable. Yeah, Sean, like that, that's a great point because that's a dilemma when I'm advising players um, that I, that it's not really a dilemma, but I pose, I pose this question to them. Like, what is your strategy for your career? Right. I think a lot of times I want you to talk about this, as a player, we don't really, especially overseas player in my experience, we we don't go into this thinking of a plan or sometimes our agent doesn't have a plan for us. They're just trying to get us a job. And I'm speaking generally. Now, there are some really good agents yeah. that actually have a plan. They have a small group of players that are their clients and they map out a plan for them. They know, OK, we're going to send you here because we're trying to get you here. But for the most part, a lot of guys are just trying to get to the next job and they don't really have a plan as to you know how this job is going to affect the next one. And mm-hmm. And so, you know, for me, I was like you, I didn't, I didn't care about the money. I was trying to get to the highest level that I could possibly get to. That was my goal. 
And I knew that about myself. So if I got a first division job in Greece and they were paying me more or paying me less than uh, another country that would have been paying me more, but Greece is where I, I was trying to get up there. And so I would take that deal over the other deal. So, so what was your thought process like as you were looking at jobs? Um, was it trying to get to the highest league possible or were you more about just trying to play in different countries to learn about the countries? Once I got my citizenship, my Austrian passport, I played one final season. And in the middle of, of that season, I, I got my Austrian passport. So this was my fifth season in Austria. And then it was like, for me, I want to explore. I want to go to different countries. I want to see a lot of things. And I made a conscious effort that I would bounce around for the next couple of years. I, I went to France, then I went to Portugal, then I went, I was one year in, um, where did I go after Portugal? After Portugal, I came to Germany for the first time, then I went to England, then I was in Switzerland for two years, and then I came back to, to Germany to finish my career and start my, my coaching career. But for me, it was, a, it was a conscious effort. I remember one time I got an offer from a team in Poland, and I had played against this particular team the year before in, in the European Cup. And when we went there, I didn't like the city. It was gray. It was cold. It just, it just was not nice. It was just not pleasing to the eye. And this contract offer that I got was a little bit more than, where did I go that year? Then I went to, I went to uh, Germany that year. It was a little bit more than what I had been offered in Germany. For me, I could already speak German. So I thought, okay, that's a plus. I, don't, I won't have any problems with the language. And I could have taken the more money, but I think I would have been miserable. And yeah. for me, the quality of life was more important than the dollar, euro that I would receive more. It, it, it was clear for me. So like I said, it's everybody's individual decision how they want to handle that. But for me, it was definitely comfort over money and one, one more thing matt before we get off this subject um you kind of alluded to it before when you were talking about the, uh, your rehab process in your first year of austria that you had time mm -hmm. to explore but um i don't think a lot of you know players as well as aspiring players as well as people in our audience are going to understand just how limited your time is to <laughs> really explore and and see the country and the city that you're in because they think we're on vacation. They think oh, you, you played in Greece, you played in Portugal, you played in all these wonderful places that they see on Instagram. And touch on what it's like on a day-to-day -day basis and why it's really so hard to really kind of take in exactly where you are. So let's let's break it down. So in the preseason, when you first get there, you're practicing uh, two, three times a day, probably going away for training camp. Um, you're 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 booked. You're you're all the way in, right? up to here with practice. Then the season starts. Of course, you you're, you have no time. You're playing one game a week, unless you're playing European Cup games, then you're probably playing twice. Um, okay, some leagues now also play twice a week, but you're practicing two times a day at least, plus going to film, plus going to the fitness center to work out. Uh, you got running, you got uh, physio, you got all kinds of things. Now, you have some downtime as a as a European athlete. I think I think you practice normally in the in the in the mornings. Um, you have time at lunch. You can eat. You can rest. Then you have uh, usually something at night. 
So you have some time in between, but that's not time that you're going to be going to, to, I don't know, to another country or driving to, yeah. to a monument or something like that. You, you rest because yeah. you're tired. You're tired. Yeah, you got to, you got to call your folks back home. You got to, it's not, it's not like just chilling. So that's nine months long, 10 months long. And then of course, after the season's finished, everybody wants to go home. They want to go home. I, I realize that a lot of people right now, a lot of girls and guys are, are, are starting to extend their stay a little bit before mm-hmm. they go home so that they are able to travel. But a majority of after you've, after you've been overseas for 10 months, you just want to go home and see your family. You just, yeah. I, I get it. So that's the thing. You're not traveling that much. If you're lucky and you play on a European cup team, you're traveling in different cities, but you're also not seeing much of that city that you're exactly. traveling to. You get off the plane, you go pretty much to the hotel, then the practice. After practice, you're back for, to, to eat and you're tired. You want to get some rest. You got a game the next day. You're not hanging out. You're, you're in the hotel. Okay, the next day, maybe you go for a walk somewhere close to the hotel, but that's pretty much about it. So it's, it's, it's a, a lifestyle that is not for everyone. It is really not for everyone. I've seen a lot of players that had way more talent than I did that j- just couldn't hack it, just couldn't, couldn't do it. For various reasons, but it's not the lifestyle for everybody. And I think the guys and girls that play overseas, especially these days, it takes a special person. It takes a very adaptable person to to live over here and do this year after year after year and earn your keep and and make a, a name for yourself and and really focus on on that job. As somebody that was a big time recruit and went to a power five school, do you think having to kind of go the smaller school route helped open your mind up to to the overseas experience or or made you more open-minded about, you know, just kind of playing in different places, playing in different leagues, uh, maybe help from like an ego perspective, honestly, like just being able to to fit in. Oh, big time. Yeah, of course. Because I went from um, the McHale center, 18,000 seat arena to Southern Utah, the Centrum, with 5,500 people. And, of course, your ego gets takes a hit. Not for me so much, but I think for a lot of people, something mm-hmm. like that could, could affect them. So then I go to Austria after I leave Southern Utah, and there's literally like 500 people in the gym. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, there was no basketball culture there. I mean, they were wild, and the fans were incredible. But I'm in Kaffenberg, Austria, not Vienna. I'm in Kaffenberg, which is now one of the best places to be as far as basketball is concerned in, in, in Austria. But yeah, it was it was on the rise, but there was there was no culture. So I had to adapt. I had to think outside the box. And I think a lot of teams and actually my my first coach from Austria, he told me something one time in a meeting and he told me he specifically chose me from a small school because the players that they had had before from better known schools all had ego problems they weren't they weren't flexible they weren't used to playing in a little gym or or Mm -hmm. even open to the fact of playing in a little gym or or things like that so um i think that's one thing that i've I've been told actually quite quite a few times that coaches and gms over here they look for guys at smaller schools as well just to make sure that there's no problem with eagles now that does not say that does not mean that guys that play at university of north carolina come over here with big heads and fat eagles. But 
it's a it, it's a there is a difference if you come from adjustment. a D one, a, a small D one school, or an NAIA school, or something like that. That has nothing to do with your talent level. It's just what you make of your of your talent when you come overseas, and 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 I think that's just a a, a thing of adjustment and a thing that that a lot of men and women, girls and guys, that they just don't understand. We're going to chop that last part up and put that out there because a lot of a lot of younger players, that's going to give them a lot of encouragement um, just to understand like they do have a chance and that there are some markets that are looking specifically for people like them, players like them, men and women. Yes. Because, you know, you and I both know we're in this space where players are asking us for advice and things like that. Yes. And sometimes they're discouraged because they think, well, I'm not I'm competing against this guy that played at Villanova or this guy that played at Texas, and they don't understand that there's a market for them. Like, yes. my second year, I played in uh, I played in Denmark, top division Denmark, played for Team Folk Nesville. And on my team that year, our point guard was the best player in the league. He ended up going to Australia with the Sydney Kings right from Denmark. He played NAIA, and he was 5'8", Corn Henry. This dude lit up the whole league, but he was, he was an NAIA product. You know, and so I always use him as an example, like, and he went to to a league that gets former NBA players all the time, yeah. the Sydney Kings. Yeah. And so, like, there's a market for them. And I and I, I love what you said about that. Um, That's going to encourage a lot of players. We, we're definitely going to chop that up. Well, but, it um, should yeah. encourage them. It, yeah. Well, it should encourage them. Yeah. And so um, one other thing, Matt asked a question yesterday that was very good during our initial episode our debut episode and it was about the mental aspect. Right. And I don't know if he was getting ready to get into that, but you touched on it when you were talking about your rehab process, going back to that. And then, you know, for, for, for me, I'm learning a lot from you because you're the generation before me. And, you know, I didn't know about, you know, having to write letters. You know, when I came overseas, <laughs> Skype, Skype was popping. Um, FaceTime was just becoming relevant. Um, Facebook was, was, was going on. So I had some type of resources to, keep me in touch with back home but you know just talk about what that process was like as as a pro player back then um and and then the mental aspect how you dealt with the day-to-day of being being away from home without these technological advances at your disposal well i tell you um i like to tell this story a lot i was earning one thousand two hundred dollars my very first phone bill was six hundred (laughs) dollars so i was on the phone and I am not the person to get homesick. I never once in, in the time that I spent overseas did I get homesick. Um, but of course, when you first come over, you want to call everybody. You want to make sure everything's okay. So um, I think that's a, a huge underrated aspect of, of living in a foreign country for nine to 10 months a year is the mental side. And I think that's a huge reason why a lot of more talented guys than I was just couldn't hack it. You miss a lot of a thing, a lot of things going on back home. You miss birthdays, you miss anniversaries, you miss your parents' birthdays. You know, you you miss a whole lot of stuff, and and that can wear on players a lot. And I think that if players are not ready for that when they first come over, it's tough. You have to give some kind of thought process to how you will handle being away from home and not being able to just jump in a car and go somewhere if there's an emergency you have to literally like book a flight you got to do a whole lot of other things so a lot of guys and girls get homesick it happens and and you just hope that today 
with all the modern technology that it's easier for players. But still, there will be times when players get lonely. They're by themselves. They're, they're, they're living in a foreign country and possibly don't speak the language. Yeah, your teammates, they can speak English probably. But you've got to be alone at some point. You've got to go grocery shopping by yourself at some point. You've got to do a lot of things on your own. And you have to be in a mental state that you are able to adapt, that you're able to open yourself up to new cultures. Because here's the thing. Europe is not bending to you. You're going to have to bend to Europe. Europe is not adjusting to you, whether it be basketball-wise or, or mentality-wise. You are in their land. You are in their country. So you're going to have to adjust to what they do. It's not going to be, oh, I'm going to treat this like I'm in America. Uh-uh. That'll be a quick flight home for you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, look, hey, look, Sean, because I touched on it yesterday. Um, I don't know if you know Stephen Lasner. He played for uh, Panathinaikos. He, he just recently retired the last couple of years. Uh, is it UMass guy? Yeah, UMass guy, exactly. He was the one, um, when I was playing in Greece, I was playing in Lysiakos in A1 Greece in Athens. But, you know, all the guys are, you know, 15 minutes from each other. So we would hang out. Yeah. And he saw the way I was moving. Now, this was my third year. Um, and he saw the way I was moving. I was doing everything like I was still back home in America. Because prior to that, <laughs> like I, I, I told yesterday, like when I lived in, in, when I played in the UK BBL my first year in Worcester, I didn't go to London one time. I didn't go one time the whole season <laughs> because I, I'm like you. I have a I'm a Bosman A. I have a British passport. So wow. um, b- before there was Brexit, I was a EU citizen, and so I didn't go out at all. And then I'm in Athens, and I'm around those guys, and they're like fully invested into European culture and everything. And he 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 made a he said something to me, and it's a one liner that I love to use. He said, "Mike, you have to go all the way Euro, like." And, and, and it was something that kept with me no matter where I went. I went to China and everywhere, but I kept that mindset of going all the way Euro, which basically meant like you were saying, embrace the culture, adjust to where you are, because if you don't adjust, you're going to be miserable and eventually it's going to show out in your play and your interaction. Exactly. With and then, like you just said, you're going to be right home. <laughs> so, Sean, what did you do? I mean, without those things available, you weren't streaming stuff on Netflix. Like you, you probably didn't speak no. the language yet. So you're not watching no. stuff on TV easily. Like what were the things that kept you sane <laughs> other than basketball? Well, um, after I broke my leg, especially I had a lot of help. I, I was already open to trying to learn German because I somehow okay with languages. But after I broke my leg, of course, I had more time. And I had met a family that that really like took me in. And actually, I ended up living with them for almost a whole year while I was rehabbing um, the Walizade family in Austria. And that's how I started to learn German at a, at a faster rate. But <laughs> the other story that I like to tell is that I learned German through watching The Simpsons because I was a huge fan of The Simpsons. And I knew all the episodes that were just now playing overseas in Austria and in Austria, they have German television, but they don't dub it. They don't have the the, the uh, subtitles. So I was basically listening to what Bart and Homer were saying and piecing together the words um, and kind of figuring out what these words meant based on what I already knew. So that was that was one thing. And yeah, I just I was I was fortunate that I had a, a group of people that made my transition and also my injury time much more lively. I wasn't just sitting at home thinking about my leg. This is the first injury I had ever had 
Um, so they probably kept my mind off of the, the, the state that my leg was in. And so I was fortunate in that area. And I think that's part of the reason why I decided to stay because I had strangers that were helping me and, and, and really getting me through it in, in the darkest time of my professional, my athletic career. And when I saw that, that these strangers were willing to help me, um, they fed me, I lived with them, then that kind of changed my focus on, on my quality of life again. Were there any times where you just said, like, forget it, I can't do this? Like, I, I want, I mean, maybe with the leg, but never wanted to quit or anything? No, not awesome. one time. It was a it was a very difficult process going through the rehab with my leg. Um, just there were some issues between the team doctor and the physio and everything. And it wasn't an easy, easy time at all. I write about it in my book. Um, but I never once thought about giving it up because I was still able to be around the team i was still able to get shots up sitting in a chair or something like that i was still around basketball and that's what i love to do it was my, my my whole life i was also lucky enough i met my, my my first wife in austria so i had also that um to to help me through it but um yeah it was it was for me never an option to, to think about quitting or going home or anything like that never not one second yes yeah, sean um one thing that you said um, when I was listening to you talk about, you know, your process about how you coped with um, being overseas was that there's so many nice people, man, that we meet when we're yeah. over there that like open up, even if, and they, and they know that we're only there maybe for a year, yeah. but they make us feel like we always have a home there. And that's been my experience as well, is that there's just so many people that just open up their homes and try to make your your time there, however limited it might be, um, comfortable for you. And that was one of the advantages of playing in smaller towns that I found was that yeah. it's so tight knit. And and I think that's something that a lot of aspiring overseas players need to understand is that sometimes they think because they're going to a European country that might be that might not be a lot of Black Americans there. You know, speaking from from a black um, <laughs> culture perspective, you know, a lot of people yeah. never have been outside of the neighborhoods that play ball. <laughs> and so they think that, oh, these people, there's going to be maybe some racism and there might be some pockets here and there. It's still the it's still the real world. But for the most part, you know, you're going to be welcomed, you know, and yeah. it's, it's really depending on how you present yourself. If you present yourself as a jerk, you're going to be treated like a jerk. If you present yes. yourself. Like a like a like a decent human being, you're gonna be treated like a decent human being, and then some. So I think that was really important um, that you said that, so people can understand. Like when you go over there, just just embrace them because you're gonna be embraced until you show yourself otherwise. Yeah. Any big like major culture shock moment for you? Like I, I'm not I'm not in Las Vegas anymore. Moment like what was the, <laughs> whether it's the food or driving on the wrong side of the road. Like what kind of opened your eyes to it? I think my my welcome to Europe moment was the very first practice game I played. It was I, I saw my gym, which was relatively small, and and but the first time we had a preseason game, and I we played in a gym in Vienna, and I walked in and it was smaller than my gym. It was like a school gym, and and I was just like, this is not it. This <laughs> this is not it. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I mean, but I was open. Okay, I, mm-hmm. you have to be open. It's not. It's not. It's a different, different culture, different world. Basketball rates very low 
in a lot of European countries, except for the Greece, the Spain, you know, uh, Turkey, Russia, other than and those really big countries that are paying really big time money, basketball is a, is, a, is a fringe sport still, even today. And I was open, but I remember walking to the, into that gym and thinking, wow, my high school gym was way bigger than this. And this is where I'm playing my first season. But I got over it pretty quickly. And, and once you get out on the court, you don't think about that at all anyway. Hey, Sean, talk, talk about how, um, because Sean and I talked about this um, on episode one, but talk about how the the game was back then in terms of you as an American on the team. How, how did the team view you? Because, you know, you know, for a lot of us coming up, we saw Love and Basketball when, when Monica, right. Sonali's character, <laughs> she goes over there and she's basically treated like Jordan, you know, She's not even understanding what they're saying. And the teammate just tells her, the coach said, give the ball to Monica. And she's treated like the star. So she was so much head and shoulders above her teammates that, that you know, there was really, there was an expectation of her when she got there. So what was it like right. for you when, um, in, in your time when you first started? Like, what was the perception of an American basketball player when they came to Europe? Well, back then it was, it was still the old school, two Americans and, mm-hmm. and the rest national players right Mm -hmm. so of course as an american you were you were expected to put up numbers you were expected to play 38 minutes a game you were expected to be a leader and over the course of the last 25 26 years it's definitely changed the world has caught up basketball wise to america it is not anymore that the americans are playing 38 minutes they might be playing 24 they might be playing 12 on some teams so it's a different it's a different situation on on most teams than than back in '95 when I first came over. It was really on some love and basketball. I mean, I was part of my team was was luckily we had three foreigners, we had three Americans, and because one of the Americans had gotten the Austrian passport, so he was able to play as an Austrian, which opened up an American spot. That was my spot. So we had technically three Americans on the team, which helped me also a great deal. But still, you had to put up numbers or you were going home. Like There was no team ball. It was, you have to put up numbers. Back then, the Austrians weren't very good. So it was on the three of us to put up those numbers and lead our team to victory. It was definitely pressure. More pressure, Mm -hmm. I think, than than a lot of guys have today. But Mm -hmm. it was definitely awesome love and basketball. We were were heroes. I was also in a small town. We were the the town heroes. We, We Victors go uh, to, to the to the victors go to spoils. They say, and I lived that life and and had a great time and and partied and got free drinks and everything. So it was it was a great time back then. I think uh, nowadays it's, it's it's pretty much the same. But there was definitely a, a sense of pressure and a pressure to perform back then that maybe a lot of guys and girls these days don't have. Yeah, like now nowadays, you know, I I started. You said you started in '95. My first year was 2010. So you know, like it's starkly different. You know, in terms mm-hmm. of just how much the game has caught up. You know, we saw it from the Olympics and things like that back in '92, and then moving mm-hmm. forward. But like the players over there can hoop. Like they're yeah. athletic now. And I was telling Matt, yeah. I was telling Matt in, in episode one. You know, the rules were changing. So talk about that. How you couldn't rip through. Back when you were playing, like was considered, <laughs> what, what, what was the oh, considered? Oh, man, <laughs> I think my very first preseason game, I got called for about nine travels. Yeah. You know that that jab, first step, go uh-huh. with your right, going right. No, 
not. <laughs> you were not trying to hear that back then. Now, yeah. now the game is is his worldwide has taken such a, a huge look or a huge eye towards the NBA, and and the rules have changed also accordingly. That there are things that that are going on now with Eurostep or or that kind of gather step that you're getting mm-hmm. basically three steps and sometimes four steps. Yeah. Back when I came over, no, nah, there was none of that. <laughs> Yeah. So um, the rules have have changed. I think for the better, mm-hmm. for the most part. But back then there was there was yeah. I, I was getting called for travel. I think the first five games I played, I was just getting whistled for for travel every yeah. time. I, every time I tried to drive, you gotta put you gotta put it down first. You gotta put, put it down. down first. That, it yeah. makes you slower, but you have to adjust. You and, and yeah. that's that's why I call it my book same name different game because yeah. it is a different thing to being over in america and playing uh-huh. coming over here refs are different calls are different you might as a foreigner you might get called for a call that a natural uh, uh-huh. a, a national guy won't get fault called for a foul that you you'll get called for that they won't get called for it's a it's it's the same game that we've all played our whole life but it's different yeah. it, it's different over here 100%. Like, even for me, like, that, that put that, putting the ball down actually helped me because I'm a transition guy. I'm a guard. So when I would get it kicked to me on the wing, instead of having to catch it and going, I would catch it, put it down, then go, and it actually helped my footwork so I wouldn't travel. And, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. just from a technical standpoint on the court, it really helped me. So there, there, are, there are some things that you can learn from the European game. And I think oh. they're much more fundamentally sound than us. And I told yeah. Matt that in episode one. But, but what you said there about catching up. And, and for me, I think it was a deeper reason why they changed the rules. I think the European players have caught up. So now they're saying that they can compete with us now. All right, we don't need to regulate that move anymore because mm-hmm. our guys can do it too. So yeah. let, let's change the rule. But um, but yeah, no, it's a, it, I remember when I first started playing, um, when I was training, a lot of the older guys, even though they didn't give me the, the technical aspects of the off the court stuff about the game of overseas, but they always talked about putting the ball down. That was the one thing that everybody harped on was putting the ball down, put it down, put it down. The American travel. Yeah. (laughs) It's obviously on a much different scale than both of you guys, but I played in a pickup game (laughs) Friday night and there was an 18 year old kid playing and he caught the ball in the three point line and went all the way to the hoop without dribbling. And when we called him out on it, he was like, oh, gather step. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Like, I'm pretty sure the rule is still uh, you, you don't get four steps to get to the basket, but it, it is a generational thing where you get that kind of split of for some of us, the ball, you know, you have to dribble before st- taking a step and and like yeah. just different sort of nuanced things. I, I got to imagine that's hard for guys to adjust to on the fly, like someone changes the rule in the middle of your career or rules are slightly different in different countries. Like, uh, I would I would love to hear from you guys about how even the games officiated from country to country. You know, you know, for me, like I tell guys all the time, I keep it straightforward with them. I never cuss. I don't yell at them, but I'm direct. And I tell them, look, if you want to play ball overseas, you can't play like that. Like that's not <laughs> going to fly over there. Like straight up, nobody's going to let you dribble 50 times <laughs> to, to, a, to a 35 foot step back. Like even in the NBA, only five guys, a handful of guys are allowed to do that. Most of the guys, 90%, 95% of NBA are guys that play efficient basketball. Even Kevin Durant. The most, most of yeah. one of the greatest scores of all time. He talked about it in an interview with Jamon Green. He said, I'm a cliche basketball player. I rip through two juba pull up, face up, fade away, catch and shoot. Like watch him play. He rarely ever yeah. dances with the ball. And yeah. it was apparent in 2011, during the 2011 lockout, 
when a lot of NBA guys who couldn't afford to miss that money in the NBA, they went overseas <laughs> and they were getting sent home. Like yep. straight up. I'm not going to say names, yep. but a lot of guys were getting <laughs> sent home because they couldn't adjust to the European game. But, but go ahead, Sean. I want to hear your, your perspective on that. Well, I, it's crazy because like you said, like Kevin Durant is, is, is a, he's a, one of the best scores ever and he doesn't do all the tricks. He just yeah. gets it done. He's efficient and gets it done. And I, I I struggle a little bit with today's game, a little bit being the old head that I am. And, mm-hmm. and, and also as a former coach that you want things done the right way. I struggle a little bit with, with, with today's game, a little bit. but there are some rules that, that rule changes or, or things that have definitely been in advance for the game. But when you come over here, man, you know, you know, Mike, mm-hmm. different countries, different refs, it can be a beast and you have to adjust. It, I think that was one of the, key things what prolonged my career is that I was able to adjust. Me as a player, I was a prototypical, I'm 6'8", but this thin. I'm a, I'm a three-man. My natural position is, is a three. But I could play, depending on the country or the team that I, whatever was needed, I could play anything from, actually, I did play everything from one through five during my career. And the jack-of-all-trade, master-of-none type. Right. I could mm-hmm. I could get it done at every every position, but I wasn't great at one thing. Nowadays, they're they're specializing. The game has become much more specialized. There are fewer guys that can play multiple positions and they're they're really focused on finding for this system. I need this shooter for this system. I need this driver. I need a, a, a two way guy. I need. So um, I, I think I, I was fortunate to play in an era that allowed me to be a chameleon of sorts and adjust to where I was needed. Sometimes more successful than others. When I, when I was in France, I got fired from my job in France because our big guy got hurt and I had to play inside. And France is a, a physical league, man. It is not, this is not for the, to the weak at heart, but me being six, eight and, and 95 kilos at soaking wet um, was not to my advantage playing inside. I would practice all week at the three and then on the weekend play at the, at the five. No, not a good look. So, but I was still able to adapt. And, and I think that was the, the biggest key. When you come over here, you have to be ready to, to, to play a different brand of basketball than you ever played. You will be asked to do things that you were never asked to do. And one of those things might be not to dribble 4,000 times before you hit up a shot to pass yeah. the ball and cut with, with mm-hmm. a lot of guys. What, I think that's the area, pass and cut. That's the mm-hmm. area that Europeans are far more advanced than Americans. Mm-hmm. And so when these guys and girls are coming over, it's not going to be just in your hands. The ball will be out of your hands and you have to figure out ways to score or to help your team without being so ball dominant because you might only be playing 20 minutes a game. <laughs> yeah. You said you said something um, that almost triggered me. You said two-way player. <laughs> it really irritates me when I hear that term because you and I both know we never heard that even though I came out 14 years after you what is a two-way play basketball you play offense and defense you're a basketball player like like I hate that term like that's such a it's such a a a, a new generation term because Matt like we never heard nobody nope. ever taught us you have to be a two-way player that was never something you were patted on the back for you nope. play basketball if you didn't play defense you didn't play 
You know, exactly. that, that was straight up, you know. So anyway, I, that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> but but um, but one thing you did say, though, that I think uh, I think our audience would, would definitely take from this is that adjustment. Right. I tell these, these younger players all the time that, yo, nobody's going to allow you to, to some teams don't allow you to have that period of adjusting. Like if you sometimes if you come over there in October, November, the season's already started. They've gone through preseason. They're expecting you to get off the plane sometimes without a practice and play. And yes. you can't say I'm jet lagged or I'm trying no. to get used to the system. Talk, talk about that a little bit. I, I've also experienced that. I got off a plane. Um, I was living in Austria at the time, so it wasn't so but so much of an adjustment. But when I played in, in England, I literally flew in to London, took a three-hour ride to meet my team at a road game, Never played with these cats before. Never had a discussion. I knew the coach. I knew his style because I had played against him also the year before in the European Cup. Mm-hmm. And But literally, I was flying blind. I had to put on my sneakers, and I had to go right then. I know tens of thousands of guys that are getting off planes and going straight to practice after yeah. a nine-hour flight. Mm-hmm. It, it happens. And you can't have excuses. They expect you to be ready right then. There's Nobody no cares. excuses. Nobody, Nobody cares. cares if you just got off a flight. You are being paid to play, and that's what you will do. You will practice for three hours right when you get off the plane, and that's just the way it is. And you got to get through it. And that's, again, you got to be ready to adapt. I told myself when I got off the plane, sorry, Matt. Like when, when I got off the plane, I would tell myself, I'm already preparing for it. I know I'm practicing as soon as I get off the plane. I'll rest <laughs> after the practice. I'm going to give it up my all in the practice, whatever I have in me. And then I'll rest after after the practice. And that's the mindset. You, that, there's no other way to think about it, in my opinion. One of the things you had in the book, uh, Sean, was a list of questions to ask before picking a team. And I just wanted to sort of tie this back to what you just talked about and style of play and fit with the team and things like that. You had how many players are left um, you know, on the team from previous seasons? How long had the coach been there? Do you know anyone? Do you know about the teams that they play against? Do you know about the league? Um, all those types of things. like. Can you talk a little bit about how important it is to to understand that the style of play for a team or uh, the way a, a particular coach might handle players is, is sort of the right fit for you and and how you kind of best handle things? Like I said before, look online. You got to check things. You got to take just like these clubs and these general managers and these agents are checking out what you have done in the past. You have to do the same in order to make an informed decision. Your agent is going to put in front of you this contract, this contract, and this contract. It is up to you then to do your due diligence and investigate what situation might be right for you. The situation that might pay more may not be the right situation for you. It might be the one for less money. Because who who cares if you get if you sign on the dotted line for hundred thousand dollars for for this team if they send you home after two weeks? That makes that makes no sense. Um, so I think it's 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 really important for players these days to, with so much information at their hand, to do their due diligence. Look at these teams. Look at what's going on in the past. You can figure everything out. All you got to do is go on Eurobasket.com, and you can you can see a lot of things if you are able to sit down, focus, and figure out. Okay, I've got this team as opposed to this team. What makes this league stronger? What makes this team better? What is the best situation for me? 
there's just so much information at, 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 at their hands these days that it, it would be a crime not to do your due diligence. If you only have one offer, yes, of course, sometimes you have to take what you can get. But that does not mean you don't still investigate what went on in the past and prepare yourself. No one is going to do that for you. Your agent will tell you uh, some things for sure. But the agent is also looking for his commission. So he's pretty much just waiting for you to sign on the dotted line. Mike, when you're talking to these guys, how many of them actually go online and watch games of the team prior to you know signing a contract with the team? I speak for myself. I know I didn't early on. For sure, I didn't, I didn't either. Yeah, I'm just let's just let's just keep it on it. Like I didn't do that, you know. Um, and honestly, it wasn't until probably my third year that I realized just how much to to Sean's point, how much technology we have at our at our fingertips because I, after my third year in Greece and when I played A1, that's when I was really on the map. I had a lot of agents and a lot of players asking me, hey, uh, my my players get ready to sign into this league or your former team is asking about my player. Um, what do you think about this league? Like, tell me about the team. And that's when it really clicked to me like, huh, like this social media thing could really be used as a tool in this overseas basketball yeah. world because now and, and one thing that I've noticed, players of our generation, because of social media, they like being asked questions about their experiences. Like, I never yeah. have to pull information out or beg somebody yeah. to tell me about their team. They want to tell me about, oh, yes, the, this team was great. They took care of us. Or, no, look, I had to wait three months to get my money and, and things like that. Because that's right. another thing, to Sean's point, when you sign with a team, you might be – and my, my contract in Greece, I mean, I'm just being transparent with a great contract. But Greece is 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 notorious for not paying the players. Sean's <laughs> laughing because he knows he knows about the reputation in Greece, right? Yeah. But it's still regarded as one of the top leagues in Europe. But at the same time, you might not see all your money. So, you know that, that that's just something that that's just one um, more pronounced example about what you need to know about the the different markets about Europe. You know, we talked about it the last episode, mad about Germany. You know, Sean's in Germany. Germany's probably pound for pound the most stable and best market to yeah. play in, in, in all of Europe, you know, top to bottom yeah. in terms of respect, um, competition, as well as financial stability and, and, and quality yeah. of life. You know, they they take care of their imports out there. So, yeah, so I mean, like to, to what Sean was saying is spot on. You have to do your research. And like for me, I didn't I didn't realize that the how much that mattered until later on in my career. So that's why, like Sean and I, you know, we both were in the same position. We were young. We didn't know. So now we're giving that back to, to exactly. the generation of, of players, men and women. Exactly. Sean, yeah. one of the things you had in the book that I found the most interesting is it's just something I, having never done that, would have ever considered are things like tax refunds and understanding, <laughs> you know, if you've been in a country for a certain amount of time that you can, you know, or only there for a certain amount of time, you can actually get a refund, you know, if you leave by a certain point or Things like currency rate, making sure you understand what currency your deal is in and if that's a locked in number or that could change, you know, based on the value of the euro or, or, or something like that. Can, can you talk a little exactly. bit about those things and, and how important you think those are for, for young players? Well, I mean, it's, it's very underrated. Your agent, they're going to they're gonna prep you for the basketball stuff. But a lot of stuff, what happens outside of basketball, you don't know. And I didn't learn it until later in my career that. There was there was a lot of things that that I just wasn't able to process, or I didn't have the information for. For example, with taxes, I had no idea that I could get my my money back, more or a portion of my money back, until much later. 
So it's also up to you to do your due diligence and, and talk to former players, things like that, what they experience in these countries. And um, if there's a way to find a, a financial advisor, for example, that can help you with your taxes. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's very underrated that these players, there's, a, or let me, let me take it back. There's a, a, a lot of misconceptions that, for example, that your money is tax-free. No, that's wrong. Your money is not tax-free. Uncle Sam wants his money. You have to, you have to give a statement when you go back home. You have to inform, you know, your, your money may be taxed free in the for you in your country that you're playing in but uncle sam still wants his money back home Mm -hmm. so um things like that 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 a lot of guys are not aware of that their agents are not informing them maybe the old head on their team is not informing i was i i have to say i haven't had any real bad stories about not getting paid on time except for one i won't mention the name of the team because it was i'm still in contact with them and they've been very good to me but um, when I first got to this team, uh, one of the, one of the players had been there for a couple of years and he pulled me to the side. He was like, look, you're not going to get all your money on time. I'm like, what? My agent did not tell me this. He did not tell me this. the guy pulls me to the side. He's like, first two, three months, maybe you'll get everything on time. But after that, you won't get it on time. You won't get everything and definitely not on time. But this league has a rule that they have to show the receipts that they paid all their money to all their foreign players or all their player period before they get the license for the next season. Mm-hmm. So it's happened to me every year. At the end of the year, they owe me a, a, a huge sum of money. But three weeks later, four weeks later, I get it. No problem. So <laughs> it was like clockwork. After the first two checks getting paid full, then I was only getting 80%. I had a family. So I was getting more than the single guy, a single American on my team. He was only getting 40, 50% of his check. And um, yeah, and it worked out that basically they were saving money for me. I was lucky in that sense that at the end of the contract, at the end of the season, they owed me a pretty large sum of money. And it was really tough for me to get on that plane and and, and go back to Austria where I was living and, and have a... A, a thought that I might not get all my money, but sure enough, just like the guy said, three, four weeks later, on my account, everything's there. So that was a, a good situation. I've also heard of it being bad. And and like you said, Germany is a really great place for us. Germany takes care of everybody. And that is why I stayed here because this is a great place to live. Um, I, I just had back surgery last week. I paid a total of 40 euros for the four days that I was in in the hospital, ten dollars or ten euros each day, wow. um, and that's all I I had to come out of pocket for. So I'm good here. And um, <laughs> but but these are the, also the things that, that a lot of Americans that they don't they don't understand. They don't know. It, it is clear. How can they know? That's why you and I are doing things like this to inform, to be informative, yeah. to be open, and and give the information. The information is there if you want it. You just have to you just have to to, to use it. Uh, Mike, anything else you want to touch on with Sean? I got a couple quick hitter wrap up questions, but I want to give you a, no, a chance. No, I, think, I think you know we we could talk basketball and about our experiences all day <laughs> you know, if, if you let us. So I mean, to, in, in the interest of time, let's, let's jump into the uh, quick hitters. Sean, you know this has been very educational and informative. We've been responsible folks, kind of teaching the next generation here. But well, let's keep it a little lighter to, to close out here. I guess. Uh, got you. 
craziest story you've got from, from your overseas experience, something somebody said to you, a crazy thing, a coach, teammate, <laughs> opponent, riot gear on the turn sides. My hat back on this. <laughs> I got to turn my hat back on this. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to try to make this really fast. Okay. Long story short, the team I first came over to Austria for, we were, I was there for a total of four years. After my fourth year, we ended kind of not on good terms. And I left, went to another team in Austria and we won the league cup and the league title against my former team, nice. both in the same season. So in the, in the championship, we, I think we won, it was the best of five and we won three, one, something like that. In the fourth game, I made the decisive shot and one, and I was all hyped up. I'm going crazy. It's only a little bit of time left. And I somehow glanced to the opposing crowd and there was the, from my former team, the assistant coach, his wife, mind you, I have eaten at that family's place. We were four years together. My son was born in that city. I mean, like I was very popular there and still am. And um, I saw the, the wife of my former assistant coach and she's just giving me the finger. She's yelling and screaming and she's in the stand giving me the finger and it was a very surreal moment because you realize, hey, these fans are passionate and it doesn't matter if you played there four years or not. Right now you're an opposing team and you just did something that this lady didn't like. And she's probably not going to invite you to dinner anymore. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, I mean, actually, we talked after everything was fine. But but it was just a very surreal moment to think like, hey, you're giving me the finger. <laughs> It'd be golf clapping you here in the U.S. <laughs> We talked about that on episode one, just how like starkly different the the, the how fanatical the fans are overseas compared oh. to the states. And I said there's nothing close to it. There's nothing comparable, in my opinion. College basketball. The only Cameron, thing that's close to it. Yeah. Yeah. Cameron Indoor Arena. That's yeah. comparable to Greece. Yeah. Not without the fireworks and, and stuff like that. And the but, flares but and know, all the, that. Yeah. The, just the, the, the excitement, the passion. Yeah. It's college basketball in, in some places definitely comes close. Yeah. Sean, you played against LSU and Shaq, right? Is that? Yeah. I mean, well, how, how did I that compare? Really, I was a freshman and I didn't play that much. I played, I think th that game, I played like two minutes. So he had already fouled out. We were winning by 20. I got the garbage time and, and um, I didn't get to really play against him per se. He was already on the bench, but that was, a, it was, a, it was crazy because that was back then. That was the athletic, huge Shaq. That was just monster. I mean, he was the whole his whole career he was a monster, but but that he was it was a, a he was a different breed back then, and um, that was incredible to see it up close and live and stuff. Yeah, but I mean, that first year I played against some really good competition. I mean, I had I had guys like Chris Mills, Damon Stoudemire was my my roommate. Um, I, we had uh, Sean Rooks, uh, may he rest in peace. We had a lot of guys that played in the league. Khalid Reeves. We we had we had incredible talent on that team and um and just of course when you're playing for university of arizona you're playing, playing for those top teams you're going to play against really top competition so we can talk about that we could talk about basketball all day like just hearing those names <laughs> like those are all stories within themselves and then you playing at yeah. lsu and one of my favorite players like to watch um growing up was uh was chris jackson mahmoud abdul Rauf. So he yeah. was the point guard on that team at LSU. So yeah. like I said, let's just keep keep it on the quick hitters because we could talk all <laughs> day about this. Sean, last last couple here real quick. Mm -hmm. Craziest thing you ever had to go without in, in terms of 
you know, supplies or resources, whether it was tape or ice or, or Gatorade there's or water no or anything? Question. There, there's no question about this answer. I, like I told you, I'm a dinosaur man, 95. There's no, no uh, ice machines in, in the locker rooms. There, I had to go to McDonald's and take like uh, plastic bags. I had to buy plastic bags, go to McDonald's because they were a sponsor and they would give us ice so we could ice down our knees. I mean, we, you got to take stuff with you. And that, that's what I learned after my first year. You got to take the, the, the icy hot, the Bengay, the, the mm-hmm. sports cream, the, the bandages, ankle braces. Take that stuff with you, fellas, because you don't need it. I mean, now, of course, there it's it's different, and there's there the medical things have, have, have improved greatly. But, of course, there are some teams where you're not going to have those supplies that you're used to getting your ankles taped and everything. You might have to learn how to do it yourself. 100%. Uh, you mentioned The Simpsons, but what was one show, book, movie you watched on repeat? You know, what, what was something that helped you uh, kill some time over there? I, it was really, seriously just every movie that came out during that time because that was VHS. I've got a, I've got a, actually an old VHS of an old game yeah. <laughs> um, here. That was VHS. So we were going to the, we were going to the kind of blockbuster video place uh, like all the time. I dropped a lot of money in, in, <laughs> in, in those stores watching movies. And, and for, the, for the younger audience members, a VHS is a tape, <laughs> the larger, is a larger tape that you put into a machine called a VCR. <laughs> right. So so like like I'm in an interesting space because I'm in caught between both of those generations. I've used VCRs, I went to Blu-ray, now I'm in streaming. So I've dealt with all of that and everything in between. So I've had the DVD cases, but we are we are gonna have some listeners who don't know what a what a VHS is. So yeah. um you guys have Google, Google what a VHS is and go on YouTube <laughs> and see how that works. <laughs> it's wild to think about. They don't remember when you had to roll the windows up in your car, you know, all, yeah. All, yeah. all those old school things. Yeah. Please tell us about the name of the book one more time, where folks can find it, and uh, what what your plans are after you know after this one. There are two ways to get my book. The name is Same Name, Different Game, and you can find it on my website on seanjmccall.com, or you can also Google it or go on Amazon. It's it's on multiple platforms to 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 read both as a ebook and as a paperback copy. If you order it from my website, I will send it to you directly. and I will make a, a nice um, dedication in, in for you. It'll probably take a little bit longer to get to the States than, than if you buy it on Amazon. But same price, everything is the same, but um, that's just the only difference. And um, yeah, I mean, hopefully hopefully this information will help the one or other person and, and prolong their career. That's, that's what it's all about. It's all about giving back and, and trying to help the next man and woman. Sean, you've been incredibly gracious with your time. We didn't mean to go over an hour, but like Mike said, hey. uh, we, you get guys that like basketball in the same room, they can go all day. So we appreciate it. Of that. course. No problem. Sean, I'm, Sean, I'm, this I'm was great, thankful. man. Yeah, this was great. It was great meeting you. Um, I definitely think we're going to be in touch going forward because we're in the same space and same mission mindset. So, you know, this this was perfect. Like like Matt said, we appreciate you being on with us and we definitely look forward to seeing um, your continued growth in, in this space and beyond. Thank you. Thank you. I really yeah. appreciate it, guys. It was it was a pleasure. And of course, you know, you got thinking the same and, and those stories are going to flow. So I really yeah. appreciate it. Maybe we went over time today, but um, I think it was it was a good show for, for it was worth it. 
Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like I, I learned a lot. So as we're kicking this show off, this was great for me just to kind of get some uh, some ins and outs here from, from both you guys. So best of luck with the book and, and with the Thank back you. too. I hope you make a, a speedy recovery I'm there. Fine. I'm, I'm tougher than I look. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. All right, Sean. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.